Okay, so uh, just by way of reminder, since it's been a few weeks, um, we are in Galatians. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to a group of churches in Asia Minor, in Central Asia Minor, actually South Central Asia Minor. Uh, he wrote this, I believe, early. This is, uh, I, I would argue this is probably his earliest letter. Uh, you may make an argument with First Thessalonians, but uh, if we have been we are correct in how we are understanding the chronology of the letter, uh, it is almost certain that this letter was written before A.D. 50, uh, before the Jerusalem Council. Uh, Paul wrote it to a group of churches that were in danger of turning away from the gospel because uh, other people had come in, had crept into the church, and had begun uh, distorting the gospel by telling them they needed to add circumcision, they needed to add works of the law in order to be saved. Uh, you're not just saved by faith alone, is, was their, was their uh, position. And Paul writes to refute that. And Paul writes in a very urgent manner because this is a very urgent thing that's going on here. Uh, we're not talking about... Uh, Secondary issues, whether to eat meat or not eat meat, like in some other letters that he writes. Whether to celebrate on certain days or not celebrate on certain days. You can have convictions on those things. You can have differences of opinion on those things. But those things are not central to the gospel. But when uh, you, the, the centrality and the importance of the gospel message is being threatened here, Paul writes with a sense of urgency. And it, he gets right into it in chapter 1, verse 6, as we saw some time ago, how he is astonished that they are so quickly turning away. But we are now in the section of the letter uh, after the introduction, after Paul uh, rebukes them for so quickly turning away. Paul has, in chapters 1, halfway through chapter 1 and through chapter 2, he, he defends his own gospel message. He defends his apostolic uh, authenticity uh, in those early chapters. But now that we get to chapter 3, Paul is now expounding this, this notion of justified by faith alone that he uh, introduces at the end of chapter 2, verse 16, where there we read, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So that is, in a sense, Paul's rebuke to their distortion of the gospel. It's like, you cannot be justified by works of the law. You cannot be justified by adding anything to Jesus Christ. It is faith alone in the person and work of Jesus Christ that saves, that justifies, that makes you, or I should say, declares you righteous before God. And then he goes on at the end of that chapter in verses 20 and 21 where he talks about how our identity is with Christ. We have been crucified with Christ. And that, that wonderful statement that suggests this deep union between Christ and his people. How uh, when you could say when Christ was crucified because of our union with Christ, we were there too, crucified with him. To the point where it is no longer I who live, the one who is alive before coming to faith in Christ. That person is dead. That person no longer lives. It is now Christ who lives in us. And the life we live in the flesh, you live by faith. It is a life of faith. 
in the Son of God. And then he concludes by saying, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So there, that's Paul's uh, gospel, if you will. Now he goes about in chapters 3 and 4 to really just flesh this out. And uh, so the last time we were here, we looked at uh, Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5, in which Paul there uh, opens... (laughs) with a very interesting statement where he calls the Galatians foolish. They are foolish. You are, you are unlearned. You are, you are lacking in wisdom. Why? Because you, you think that you can be justified by adding works of the law. You can be, you could be made righteous by faith, but you can then perfect that through works of the law. So he calls them foolish. He calls them bewitched. You have been, a, you had an evil spell cast on you. He, he says, it's like, look, Christ was publicly portrayed before you as crucified. The gospel was clearly proclaimed to you. And he goes on, it's like, look, did you receive this by works? No, but by hearing with faith. And then he says, are you so foolish? Verse 3, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Did you suffer so many things in vain if it indeed was in vain? No, it wasn't in vain. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, does God work mighty works because you deserve it, because you earn it, because you've done something to warrant God acting in your life? No. He works in your life because of the hearing with faith. So, and then, depending on how your Bible renders it, verse 6 kind of starts in the middle of a sentence. And you know, you know me, I don't like starting in the middle of a sentence, but um, really from verse 6 to verse 9, which is what we're going to look at this morning, Paul, after laying down the foundational argument in verses 1 through 5, is now going to illustrate that in verses 6 through 9, and really all of chapters 3 and 4. He begins to illustrate this, this, this principle that you are not... You do, not, uh, you do not begin by the Spirit and then be perfected by the flesh. And he's going to show this in the example in the life of Abraham that we're going to see this morning. Uh, so you've got the, I think, cleverly worded title for the lesson this morning, The Gospel According to Abraham. Uh, he did not write a gospel, but as we're going to see, the gospel was proclaimed beforehand. So let's look at verses uh, 6 through 9 as we uh, begin our study this morning. So just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham The man of faith. So that's our passage. And as we head into this, we're going to see that this passage teaches, as Paul has been teaching throughout the book, as Paul has been teaching pretty much throughout all of his letters, that salvation is received by faith alone, apart from any works or merits of our own. And he's going to show that in the life of Abraham, that Abraham was justified by faith apart from works of the law. So you've got our three points there this morning. Verse 6, 
the righteousness of Abraham, verses 7 and 8, the blessings of Abraham, and verse 9, the sons of Abraham. So again, let's look at verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So really, if you think about that, that you know, as I said, that's the middle of a sentence. So let's just go back to verse 5, where Paul then says, Does he, God, who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness? Now that phrase there, where he says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That is pointing back to a story or an episode in Abraham's life that is all the way back in Genesis chapter 15. So if you'd like to, please turn to Genesis 15. Because the life of Abraham uh, is often used by Paul and the writer of Hebrews as an example of uh, a life of faith. Now, you know the basic story of Abraham, right? Uh, we first, Abram, really. Uh, you first hear of Abram in Genesis 12, uh, maybe at the end of Genesis 11 when you find out that Terah is his father. But the story of Abram doesn't really begin until Genesis chapter 12 when he is called out from his home. Now, if you remember at the end of Genesis 11, uh, his father and, uh, gathered the family and they started to move toward Canaan. But then they got stopped. They stopped somewhere in a town called Haran. And there they planted roots. And, and, and that's where God calls them out. He says, I'm calling you out. And I'm going to send you to a land that you do not know. So he goes. And he brings Lot, his nephew, with him. And then in chapter 13, uh, Lot gets in a little bit of trouble. So Gen- uh, Abram has to rescue him. And, and then in Genesis 14, you get this battle, and then so on and so forth, and now you get to Genesis 15. Now, again, one of the things that he promises him in chapter 12 is that he would, um, that this land that he is going to will be given to him and his descendants, to his offspring. Verse 7 of chapter 12, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So he's saying, look, to your offspring, I'm going to give this land that you're going to. So now in Genesis 15, it's, this is some, you know, some number of years have passed by, probably close to 15, I think, 15, 16 years, give or take. So you see here in Genesis 15, after these things, what things? Well, the things that happened in chapter 14. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great, or your great and and mighty reward. Uh, I like that rendering better, that the Lord is Abram's reward. Uh, But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, And a member of my household will be my heir. So here, God is speaking to Abram. And Abram's, look, okay, I know some years ago you said that you would give this land to my offspring. It's been 14 years, Lord. I came when I was 75. I'm, well, no, sorry, 24 years. I, I missed a decade. I'm like now 99 years old. 
and still no kids. <laughs> and, and what's going on here? The, the one who's going to inherit everything is a, is a servant in my house. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son, or what will come out of your loins shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Are you able to number the stars? No. Okay. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Verse 6, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it, that is the Lord, counted it to him, Abram, as righteousness. So here you have this passage that Paul refers to in Galatians 3, in which Abraham was made righteous, not by works of the law, but by faith. And the story behind it is that he was, in a sense, distressed because he had no children. And he was promised children. It had been 24, 25 years and still no children in sight. And the Lord says, look, you will have a son and your offspring will be as many as the stars of the sky. And then Abram, what does he do? He believes in the promise of the Lord. That's what the Lord counts to him as righteousness. Because of that faith in the promise of God, God credits, that's what that word there, counted, means. He credits righteousness to Abram. Abram did nothing to earn it. He simply believed the promises of God. So there you have that Abraham was justified by faith alone. Now, what was going on, in the, again, in the churches of Galatia? Well, they were saying, no, 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 you, you, you're not saved, you're not justified unless you do works of the law. Well, Paul's like, look, say, look, okay, the Jewish people who are coming in here and troubling you, they revere Abraham, right? We revere Abraham. Everyone reveres Abraham. Everyone thinks Abraham's a great guy. So these Jews who are coming into the churches in Galatians saying, look, you have to be, uh, you're not justified unless you're doing works of the law. He's pointing back to Abraham saying, look, what was Abraham's story? What was Abraham's story? Was he justified by works of the law? Did he do circumcision? I mean, in my Bible, the circumcision doesn't come until two chapters later. Right? 17 comes after 15 last time I checked. Unless I'm wrong, right? You know, just, we're not doing the new math here, are we? Uh, no, yeah. 17 comes after 15. So Abram was counted righteous before he even engaged in the act of circumcision. That's Paul's point. He, didn't, he was counted righteous before he did any works of the law. Before there was even a law, really, I mean, there's the law written on our hearts, but there was no Mosaic code given at that time yet. If you remember when we looked at Romans, in Romans chapter 4, this would have been uh, just a few Sundays ago. <laughs> in Romans chapter 4, I mean, Paul's making the same argument here in Romans 4 that he's making in Galatians 3. So I don't know if you remember when we looked at Romans, we kind of went back and forth between this and Galatians. Well, we're kind of returning the favor now. Now that we're in Galatians 3, we're going to be looking back at Romans 4. And, and, and Romans 4, of course, comes on the heels of Romans 3, where uh, after um, 
finding everyone guilty before God's law, he says, but now there's a righteousness of God that has been manifest apart from the law. So there's a righteousness that you cannot earn through works of the law, but it is given, it's, it's manifest, it's made known, it is revealed, and it's apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. It's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, Romans 3.22. And then he goes on to talk about Abram, because, Abraham, because again, you might be confused. Like, well, was well, Abraham, didn't he do some things? Well, that's what Paul's going to say here. Uh, Romans 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? So he's referring to Abraham as the father of the Jewish people. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So again, he goes back to Genesis 15. Now he, you know, so he says, look, if, if Abraham somehow was justified by his own works, then he has something to boast. That's what Paul will write in Ephesians 2, right? That's why it, we are saved by grace through faith alone, so that no one can boast. Because if you could earn it, then you can boast about it. You could say, look what I did. Look how I got here. You can look around in heaven and look at all the poor schmucks below you in hell and say, I did it and you didn't. So there you go. Look at me and let's have a party. No. No, Abraham gains nothing because it was given to him by faith. So his righteousness was credited to him by God. Look again at verses 4 and 5 of Romans 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as due. So if you can earn it, then it would, just, it would be given to you because you've earned it. But verse 5, and to the one who does not work, but trusts in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So just as Abram believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, the one who does not try to earn his righteousness through the works of the law but trusts in God who justifies his faith. That faith is counted to him as righteousness. It is, it is in a sense, the, the conduit through which righteousness then flows. And then you get this wonderful uh, quote from Psalm 32 and, and David where he says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sin. So we are not, Abram's righteousness, Paul here is showing, is not by works of the law. He believed it was counted to him. Had he worked, he would have something to boast. But his righteousness was credited to him. And that's a very important term. It's... We are not righteous in and of ourselves, right? It is a declaration, which is why uh, the Roman Catholics who, who oppose this doctrine will say, well, that's a legal fiction. You know, you are, you are declaring someone righteous who is not really righteous. So in the Roman Catholic view is you have to be righteous. You have to have an inherent righteousness in order to get to heaven, which is why then they have all the sacraments and and you're righteous in a sense by a combination of faith and works. You believe, you receive the grace that God gives through the sacraments, but then by doing these things, you are building up righteousness in yourself so that when you appear 
uh, and it, before you know Peter at the pearly gates or however you want to describe it, you know your righteousness either lets you in or you go to purgatory to work off whatever remaining sin is left, and then you get let in. Well, no, Paul is saying here, look, you are counted righteous. It is a declaration. It is something that because God as the judge looks at you and sees you uh, trusting in the righteousness of Christ, so that righteousness that is credited to you, it is given to you so that when he looks at you, he sees Jesus, his son. He sees you as perfectly righteous in Christ through faith. That's why Paul can say in other places, through faith we fulfill the law. Now I look at my life and I see I don't fulfill the law in my own strength. Uh, you know, I mean, I, you can say, well, you know, you're a pretty nice guy. Now, well, thank you. And you're pretty nice people yourselves. But, but I don't fulfill the law, okay? I am a lawbreaker. But God doesn't see me as a lawbreaker because by faith, Christ's righteousness has been credited to me. My bank account is overflowing with righteousness that is not my own, but received through faith in Christ. So when, Christ, when God looks at me, he sees perfect, holy, righteous in Christ. That's the righteousness that Abraham, Abraham has. So now let's look at verses 7 and 8, the blessing of Abraham. Know then... That is, those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In verse 8, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify or God would count righteous, the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So here, I, I love verse 7, right? Because if you remember back in Genesis 15, what did God tell Abram when he said, look at the sky and, and count the stars if you're able? He said, well, that's what your offspring is going to be like. Now, Abram had two sons through, uh, well, one son, th- one son through Hagar, right? One son through Sarah. He had a few sons through another uh, concubine named Keturah. And that was about it as far as sons go. Then he had, you know, he had many grandchildren, and then those children, you know, so you could look at the nation of Israel and say, well, yeah, he had a lot of, uh, you know, descendants, a lot of offspring. But notice what verse 7 is saying here. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Abraham's offspring goes well beyond just the children that were, you can, who can draw a direct lineage to Abraham, right? Abraham's sons are those who are of faith. So Abraham does have many sons. His sons and offspring can be numbered amongst the stars of the sky, metaphorically, if you will, because those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Now again, where we see here in verse 8, the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So now again, this is another episode. This goes all the way back to Genesis 12. We talked about this a little bit, and we looked at this passage when we were going through our series in Advent on the promise of Messiah. Here we talked about the blessings of Messiah. And um, 
here we see, we talked about it a little bit before this morning too as well. So this is Abram's call, if you will, right? So the Lord says to Abram, go from your country where you are and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And here's the quote that Paul uses in Galatians 3.8. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the nations, all the, all the goyim of the earth shall be blessed. And it's interesting here because Paul says, this is the gospel being proclaimed beforehand. Now, I like that because what it describes to me is that even though, I mean, how much revelation did Abraham have? Not a lot, right? He had basically God telling him, get up and go, and I'm going to do some things for you when you go. That was the extent of Abraham's revelation from God. Yet, part of what we teach is the progressive nature of revelation. I don't mean progressive like in a liberal sense. I mean the sense that what each person has as revelation is, is uh, progressing throughout redemptive history is enough. Okay, it, it, you, You've got enough there to go by, enough there to, to, to hang your hat on, if you will. And the, the amount of revelation that Abraham had here was very little. Very little indeed. But it was enough. And he tells him, Paul says that this is the gospel being proclaimed beforehand. And it, it goes to show you that the gospel is clear in the Old Testament. The gospel is clear in the Old Testament. He's like, through you, Abraham, I will bless the nations or the families of the earth. And we know what that means because Paul's going to explain that. The, the, one, in, the one in whom Abraham, uh, the one, I should say, through whom Abraham blesses the nations, of course, is Jesus Christ. Paul's going to make that argument later in Galatians 3 that the offspring is not the sons that come out of you, but it is the ultimate son that comes out of you, Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. So, I mean, the sense that Abraham blesses the nations is that his family, which will then become the nation of Israel, as we said in our Advent series, is the vehicle through which the blessings to the whole world come because it is the vehicle that brings Jesus Christ into the world. So Abraham was promised that in him all the nations would be blessed, and that blessing was not limited just to the Jewish people, but it was to Gentiles as well, as Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 8. The scriptures foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. That whole promise in Genesis 12, 3 is meant to show that salvation was meant to be to the world, to not just Jewish people, not just physical descendants of Abraham, but to all people, all nations, tribes, and tongues as as uh, we see uh, expressed more clearly in the New Testament. So this promise, again, this blessing of, of salvation, this blessing of righteousness through faith is proclaimed uh, to Abraham, uh, is uh, preached in the gospel beforehand, in you all the nations shall be blessed. And this promise was fulfilled uh, in Christ, who blesses all those who believe in him. 
There was a sermon that Peter preaches in Acts chapter 3. This is on, this is after he heals the lame man at Solomon's uh, porch, and he begins to preach a, a lesson there, a sermon. Um, Acts chapter 3, I'm just trying to see where I want to begin. So Peter begins by saying, are you shocked that this man was raised? It wasn't by us. We, we didn't do this by our own power. That's verse 12. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name... By faith in his name, verse 16, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the, the man his, this perfect health in the presence of you all. So Peter is like, look, you marvel at us because we caused this man to walk. It's like we didn't do it. It was the one whom you guys rejected, whom you guys uh, asked to be uh, killed, that's the one whom God raised. That's the one in whose name this man is now walking. Verse 19, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, the Messiah, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Now here's the important part. Drop down to verse 25. You are the sons of the prophets. Again, he's speaking mainly to a Jewish group here. You're the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So here you see this promise fulfilled in Christ that he, will, he is the one who is the blessing to all the nations and it is to him, through him, through faith in him, that you are blessed, that you receive this righteousness. So back to Galatians 3. So you've got the righteousness of Abraham through faith, the blessing of Abraham to all the nations in which the gospel has been proclaimed beforehand. And now you see here in verse 9, the sons of Abraham. So then, this is kind of a repetition of what you see in verse 7. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The true children of Abraham are those who share his faith. Again, you see this all throughout. I mean, Jesus talks about this in the Gospels. The apostles talk about this in the letters. Uh, John the Baptist talks about it when people come up to him and he says, look, you consider yourselves sons of Abraham. Uh, you know, guess what? God is able to take these stones and raise up sons of Abraham. And they'll be better sons of Abraham than you guys are. Um, in John chapter 8, if you remember that, we looked at that some time ago in, in our study through the Gospel of John um, the, the people are there, the Pharisees are saying, we are Abraham's sons. And, and, and Jesus is like, no, no, no. 
If, if you are Abraham's children, then you would rejoice to see my day. Because Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. He says, you are sons of your father, the devil. And then, of course, that turns them into all kinds of fits and everything. But um, the point here is that Paul is saying, look, Abraham had many natural children. Yes, he did. But it's only those who are, who are of faith are the true children. Because guess what? Right, His first son, through Hagar, the... The, the servant girl was Ishmael, right? Was Ishmael a child of promise? No, Ishmael was not a child of promise. Uh, Isaac was the child of promise. Abraham had two sons, and one of them was truly his son. The other one was only his son by natural birth. So the, the true children of Abraham are those who share his faith Again, I'm reminded of what Paul will say later on in Romans 4. I'm sorry we're flipping back and forth, but the point of doing this is to show you how these things are not just contained in one place, but are in all of Scripture. And in Romans 4, 11 and 12, we see here, he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Now, again, the point there is Paul is saying, look, circumcision was not a work that Abraham did to earn righteousness. It is a seal. It is a sign that was given to him to point to the righteousness that he already had by faith. In other words, Abraham, again, was righteous by faith, and then he receives circumcision later. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Paul's point there is like, look, what was going on in the life of Abraham is, is, is to show that he is the father of the faithful. He is the father of those who believe in the same way that he believed. And whether they are circumcised Jews or uncircumcised Gentiles, it matters not. If you have the same faith of Abraham, then you are also a child of Abraham because you exercise the same faith that Abraham exercised. Again, it is not through circumcision. That's what Paul's trying to very, uh, uh, push very hard here to the Galatians. It is not circumcision that makes one a child of Abraham. It makes you a member of the Old Covenant, but it doesn't make you a child of Abraham truly in the sense that Paul is speaking of here. As we see, you know, if you're still in Romans 4, if you look at verses 9 and 10, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? When Paul asks a question like that, what do you think the answer is? <laughs> the answer is yes, right? Uh, we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before. Again, the point Paul is making here, using Abraham as an example to show that Abraham's example of a life of faith is one that was done before anything was done, any kind of work was done. The circumcision was not a work to earn him anything. It was a work or it was a sign to show that he was righteous. So the sons of Abraham then, 
are those who share in his faith. So Abraham did have very many sons. His children and offspring were as numerous as the stars of the sky, but it wasn't through physical descent. It is through those who share in his faith. I mean, think of how many Christians there have been since the time of the apostles. And, and how many nations has the gospel gone forth to? It has gone forth to very many nations, right? Uh, and there's still places that it yet needs to go to, but the gospel has permeated the entire world. And there are many, many sons and daughters of faith in Abraham. Which is why at the end of Galatians 3, Paul, and we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> I don't mean to sound like the parent in the car when you're like, are we there yet? And you turn around and say, we'll get there when we get there. No, I, I just don't know. How, I think we've got at least one or two more lessons before we get to Galatians 3.29. But I'm trying to see where I want to, if I want to just read 29. I mean, 28 is a key verse. That, that's, you know, there's usually a memory verse there. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And he says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If you are in Christ by faith, you are a son, you are a daughter of Abraham, according to the opt, and, and, and you are an heir as well, according to the promise. And this will be fleshed out more when we get to those verses in Galatians 3. But just as a recap, and just a couple other things too, um, before I close, I wanted to bring some quotes to you from other people who had looked at this passage. Uh, Martin Luther, in his commentary in Galatians, writes, Abraham received justification before he was circumcised, before he had done any good works, and before the law was given. And this is the way it must always be if we are to be justified. First, we must have faith, and then good works will follow. Or Spurgeon, who, writing on verse 7, which is, know then that those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. He says, we must not think that Abraham's blessing is restricted to his own immediate seed. It is a blessing to his seed and to all the world besides, so that we who believe, though we are not of the stock of Israel, nor even of Ishmael or Esau, yet we are blessed with Abraham and through him with Jesus Christ, the true seed in whom all nations are blessed. And just as another side note, I provided all the services I provide here for you free of charge. <laughs> just you know, continue paying my salary, please. But um, our confessional material talks about this as well. Um, Belgian Confession, Article 22, speaks of our justification through faith in Christ. And in part, that article says, We believe that to attain the true knowledge of this great mystery, the Holy Spirit kindles in our hearts a true faith that embraces Jesus Christ with all his merits, appropriates him, and seeks nothing more besides him. For it must necessarily, yeah, for it must necessarily follow that either all that is required for our salvation is not in Christ, or if all is in him, then he who has Christ by faith has his salvation entirely. 
So it is, it's either, what, what he's saying there is kind of what we've been saying as we've been going through Galatians. If it's Jesus plus, then you have nothing. Okay, If you try to add anything to Jesus, you get nothing. But if you realize that everything you need is in Him, then by grasping Him with a true faith, then you have everything you need for your salvation. And then one of my favorite questions out of the Heidelberg, question 60 on Lord's Day 23. How are you righteous before God? And the catechism says, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against God, all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me, accredits to me, applies to me, the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I had never as if I had never had nor committed any sin, and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me, if only I accept this gift with a believing heart. In other words, in our natural state, we are inclined to all evil, but if we grasp Christ by faith, God, by His mere grace, without any merit of our own, imputes that righteous, righteousness to us. And as I said earlier, as in the catechism here says, and probably better than I said it, it's as if we had never committed nor had any sin. That's when, when we have the righteousness of Christ and he looks at us, it's as if we have a clean slate. But more than just a clean slate, you have a positive, perfect righteousness that is received through faith. All right, so as we bring this to a close, our salvation is not based on our works, but on faith in Christ alone. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, justification by faith alone was not a new doctrine invented by the Reformers. That's, that's always been one of the critiques against uh, Protestantism and, and the Reformation, is that this is a new doctrine, right? That's what the Roman Catholics said. This is something new, right? No, it's something that was lost, that has now been recovered, because you covered it with a layer of, and upon layers and layers of, of some kind of adding works to everything. This was taught by Apostle Paul. It's so clear here in the Scriptures what Paul is teaching. And exemplified even in the life of Abraham. It goes all the way back. Well, I mean, it goes all the way back to the beginning. But, the, you know, Abraham, the first figure that we see prominently displayed in Scripture, is a man who, is a, who lived a life of faith and who was counted righteous because of his faith. It's not a new doctrine. It's a doctrine that had been lost and had been recovered in the Reformation, but not a new doctrine. And let us rejoice then in the blessing of Abraham that has come to us through faith in Christ. So next time, on the 19th, Lord willing, uh, we're going to look at uh, verses 10 through 14.